to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Starting off today again with a question. A little bit different. How many of you feel weak? Some are kind of, some, I can tell in some of your eyes, like, well, what do you mean? How, how? I mean, in any way. I mean, there's so many different ways of feeling weakness, right? It can be a physical weakness. It can be an emotional weakness. It can be a spiritual weakness. It can be a relational weakness. There's some problem in a relationship. So now that you have it clarified, it doesn't matter which way. How many of you in some area of your life this morning, you just feel weak? A little bit, a lot of bit, some bit. A little bit of a pun. How many of you felt weak sometime this week? A lot more hands went up. You know, because it kind of comes and goes, doesn't it? It depends on what's going on at a particular time. You know, I felt very weak this last week. Uh, most of you know my wife was really sick with a cold. She's doing much, much better. Thank you so much for praying for her. She's at the tail end and just a little bit left to go, I think. But if you were here Wednesday, you know that uh, she was so kind enough in this holiday season to give that cold to me. And um, the good thing is, is that uh, there's a certain product I use, an all-natural product that works really good for me. So I started that immediately as soon as I knew that something was coming on. And yes, I have been weak and I've had a cold but I'm almost over it already too. And its symptoms have not been so bad. And um, anyway, I'm very, very thankful for that. But I have dealt with some weakness this week. I felt tired. I have not wanted to get out of bed in the morning. I did. But just lay there. It's like, oh, I just want to rest some more. Just feeling so tired and in various symptoms and just feeling weak. And I don't know if it's true for you. It probably is because I know how we operate and function as human beings. When you're physically weak, it can make you feel weak in other ways too, can it? I mean, you know, when I'm physically weak, I also sometimes feel a little spiritually weak, not as energized, motivated, you know, with my devotional time and it's harder. In fact, my wife and I were having a prayer time the other night and we both were praying and I just felt like my prayer was all over the place because physically I was weak and my mind had a hard time focusing even in addressing God. Sometimes when we're physically weak, it affects, makes us emotionally weak. You know, it's harder to deal with the relationship issues and stuff when you don't feel good. Weakness. And as I was going through it this last week, God just used a passage of Scripture that probably most, maybe all of you have heard to really minister to me. And I just felt like God put it on my heart to share that same passage with you today. Because we all deal with weakness, and it's an everyday thing in the sense that we all deal with it from time to time. And sometimes those weaknesses become even stronger in a season that becomes as busy as the holidays. And so today I want to talk to you about strength in weakness. Strength in weakness. And that idea comes from a verse in our passage today, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 where Paul talks about a specific situation in his life where he had a big weakness. And God said, I will give you my strength in your weakness. 
And I want to tell you something. That is God's desire, not just for Paul, but for every single one of us. Whatever you may be battling with today in any area in which you feel weak, or if you're today feeling, I'm feeling pretty strong. You know, I'm feeling healthy. Relationships are pretty settled. Everything's pretty good. You know that sooner or later, you're going to find some weakness somewhere. And that promise is for each and every one of us. That in our weakness, God will give us strength if we turn to him. In fact, that's the main point. If you get nothing else, you got the main point. Now, don't get up and leave. I got some more stuff to tell you. But when you are in a position of weakness, and it doesn't matter what kind of weakness, physical weakness, emotional weakness, relational weakness, spiritual weakness, turn to God. Let him do what he wants to do. Cooperate with him. He will give you the strength that you need. We're going to see that here in this passage today. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 10. A little bit of background to this story so that when I read it, it's like, what is, what exactly is, why is Paul saying this and how does this work? The church in the city of Corinth was founded by Paul quite a long while before this letter was written. He spent a good bit of time there and the church was established. And if you don't know much about Paul, he's a guy that Paul, that God used in the New Testament after Jesus ascended into heaven. In fact, he was a radical person against Christianity and God totally changed his life around to become a great missionary evangelist. And he would travel all over the Roman world from city to city to city. And he would share the gospel with the Jewish people and then with the Gentiles and a church would be established. And he would spend time there until God said, go somewhere else. And then he traveled to another town and do the same thing. So he did this in the city of Corinth, which was one of the most wicked cities in the Roman Empire. In fact, their city name became kind of a byword for somebody that was really immoral. You know, or to be immoral. Says, they would say something like, well, are you going to Corinthianize? It's like, you're going to be really terrible, aren't you? I mean, they, their city was full of tremendous immorality. And so he established this church. It was going strong. And over the years, over time, other people had come in. Other leaders, some were very, very good. Some were not so good. Some tried their hardest to cause problems for Paul. In fact, they were so successful in Corinth, this church that he started, that they basically said, you know, Paul's not really all that big a deal. Paul's not really even an apostle. Now, we're apostles. Okay, we don't have the names of these people. But they came in and they presented themselves as kind of super apostles. In fact, Paul calls them something that in the Greek, if you literally translate it into the English, it's like he's saying, these people that are so-called super apostles, they came in, they tore Paul down, built themselves up, they were bragging about everything, how they were so wonderful, and it seems to indicate that one of the reasons they did that is because they wanted the people's money. Paul's heart was broken. He loved these people. They were family. He, he called them his children in the faith, and so a lot of efforts were made to try to get things worked out. You know, he wrote the first letter. That didn't seem to straighten things out, so he made a visit. All we know is he describes it as a very, very painful visit. And then he writes another letter that we don't have. He refers to it. But it seems like over time it had an effect. Many of the people in the city of Corinth, in this church, realized that Paul was right. And these other people were feeding him a line and were not there for their benefit. And so they began to reconcile with Paul. And so Paul wrote this second letter. And things are basically going good now, but there's still a small group of people that look down on Paul, that disparage him, and he's having to almost defend himself one more time. 
And that's the background to the book of 2 Corinthians. And so you can read through it and you will um, pick that up. And, and all the way through, he, he talks about how I don't like to boast. It wasn't the way Paul was. I'm not going to boast on who I am and what I've done, but I've got to defend myself. And so that's where we pick it up here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So let's take a look at this. He says, I must go on boasting, though there's nothing to be gained by it. I'll go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, but God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. So basically he says, okay, I got to, he's already said some things that could be construed as boasting. He said, I really don't like to do this, but I, you know, I just got to get it out there. You got to understand me. He said, I'm going to go ahead and continue to do it, even though I don't know how successful it's going to be. Really isn't something I should have to do. But I'm going to talk about dreams and revelations and visions. Apparently, these super apostles had built a lot of the strength of their influence and ministry upon all these tremendous revelations and visions and these supernatural experiences that they had had with God. And Paul was basically saying, I've had those too. When you read and study the book of Acts, you see one after, you see three or four of them that are mentioned times when, when Paul had this supernatural encounter with Jesus Christ. That's how he became a Christian because he was persecuting, pursuing and persecuting Christians. And Jesus knocked him down in the road, blinded him and spoke to him and he became a Christian. But since then, he'd even had a number of different visions and God spoke directly to him. Jesus Christ spoke directly to him. And so here he shares this one and it's interesting because I just want to show you, I have them too, but he doesn't want to glory in these visions. He doesn't want to glory in these supernatural experiences. He's more concerned about his character. He's more concerned about his ministry. He's more concerned about how the people see him because he's been with them. But he says, listen, I know this guy. He kind of talks about himself in the third person. There's a lot of different reasons why he may have done that. We're not going to dig deeply into that. He's, I knew this one man one time 14 years ago. And we know he's talking about himself. It's very clear as you go through here. 14 years ago, which would be right at the beginning of Paul's ministry, shortly after he came to know Jesus Christ. 14 years ago, he was caught up to the third heaven. He was caught up to paradise. The third heaven was a way of referring to the highest heavens, that place where God dwells. And he heard and saw things that he can't share. So he doesn't. Why couldn't he share it? Well, it's either because it was too holy or it was too personal. We don't know for sure. He says, but I'm not going to boast about those kind of things. I mentioned it, but I'm not going to boast about it. In fact, you know, there's something else I want to boast about. I want to boast about my weaknesses. So let's pick it back up here. Verses five, verse 5. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but not on my own behalf. Or, or on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish, wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I'd be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. What he's basically saying here is, I'm not going to give you all the details. I can't anyway. It's too personal. It's too holy. It's too, you know, I'm not supposed to share this. But what I will share with you is weaknesses. So what's the relationship between this glorious supernatural experience of a vision or revelation Paul had with weaknesses? He's going to make that clear in a moment. But I want to tell you about my weaknesses. So I could boast... And if I did, 
I wouldn't be a fool because I'd be telling the truth. I think he's insinuating these other guys. They're boasting about all this stuff, but they're foolish because they're not even telling the truth. Okay. But he states here very clearly, and this is a really important point, not for our message today, but this is so key. He says, I don't want to be known or honored or respected because of my supernatural experiences, which he had. I want to be known and honored and respected because I'm a man of character. And because my life and my ministry has made a difference in yours. And let me just say, that's a great warning to us as a church. All kinds of people can have all kinds of stories about their encounters with God and all that kind of stuff. But you know how you really judge, I don't mean negative judge, but really evaluate a person who's involved in ministry or a person who's just another Christian or whatever may have an influence in your life is their character. And the impact of the word of God on their life and through their life on other people. Not just that they had this wondrous, wonderful experience. Experiences are great. As we talked about a little bit last week, that's true for us too. We don't need to focus so much and depend so much just on any supernatural experiences we've had with God. They're great. We shouldn't reject them. We should be glad for them. But what's most important is how our relationship with God has impacted our character and our lifestyle and our understanding and living out and sharing his word. That's what really makes the difference. And Paul says, that's what I want to be known by. Go on on verse 7. So to keep me from boasting, I'm sorry, to keep me from becoming conceited, because of surpassing greatness of revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Probably most all of you have heard of Paul's thorn in the flesh, right? It's become uh, a well enough known phrase that it's kind of out there in culture. Somebody's a thorn in the flesh. What does that mean? They're a problem, you know? So Paul says that in God's wisdom, he gave them these great revelations, this vision, this supernatural experience, but he knew Paul. Probably better than Paul, Paul, probably better than Paul. I'm I'm just stumbling over my words today. Probably better than Paul knew himself. He knew Paul. And he knew that unless there was something to kind of help Paul out, Paul would get possibly very, very conceited, proud. And he says, so God gave him this thorn in the flesh. What was this thorn in the flesh? We don't know. All kinds of speculation has been out there based on other things in Scripture. There are some that say that this thorn in the flesh was something physical because there's little hints of various physical problems Paul may have had. He may have had some kind of malarial fever. He may have had eyesight problems because of things he says about his eyes and about his handwriting being so large. I mean, it may have been some kind of physical need, some kind of physical ailment, some kind of physical difficulty. It could have been the persecution and the opposition he faced. All these people that are coming against him, that follow along behind him and slip into the churches and try to turn them against him and lead them into false teaching. It could be just all this opposition that he took personally and he carried the burden of. It could have been a relationship thing. Difficulties with other people. And some of these overlap. You know, it it, it kind of makes me think of a phrase, another phrase that we're used to. You know, a pain in the neck. How many of you have ever had a pain in the neck? And I'm not talking about literally like Brother Lynn today. He's got probably both kinds, but we know what a pain in the neck is. How many of you have ever been a pain in the neck? 
couple people would be willing to, to, to admit that, yeah. What do we mean? A person that causes us problems. So this thorn in the flesh may have been something similar to that, some kind of relational thing. Or maybe it could have been some kind of emotional thing. Maybe he was one of those people that battles depression or, or something. We don't know. But there was something that was a thorn in the flesh. He said it was given to me, and it seems to indicate God gave it to me, but it also says it was a messenger from Satan. Okay, and it was Satan, the enemy was involved. How can the enemy of God's people be involved in something that God sends or gives? I'll tell you something, we serve such a great, wonderful, awesome, and all-powerful God who can even use our enemy's efforts against him and for our good. That's what it indicates there. It makes me think of the story of Job, where God gave Satan permission to do some things in Job's life that caused a lot of problems. He had his purposes, whole different study. But Satan could only do what God let him do. And I think that's the idea that is here. You know, why did Paul not make it clear what his thorn in the flesh was? Could be any number of reasons, but I happen to believe one of those reasons, in God's mind anyway, is so we could relate to him. Because when I, if I were to say, how many of you ever had a thorn in the flesh? All of us could raise our hands, couldn't we? But if we knew that Paul's thorn in the flesh was an eye problem, and I'd say that only people with eye problems could raise their hands. And it might be very easy for us to think that whatever Paul has to say, is only, say only applies to people that had the exact same thing he did. No, what Paul has to say about this, and we're getting ready to dig into the real meat of it, applies to any thorn in the flesh, any weakness that we may have to battle with as believers in Jesus Christ. So, he goes on. Again, God allowed it because he was concerned that Paul would get conceited. Paul mentions that twice because I might get conceited. Go on to verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. He prayed about it three times. Now, this is just my opinion. It's not clear in God's word. I don't think he, he means here, he said, Lord, please take this away. Still there. Lord, take this away. Still there. Lord, please, 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 please take this away. Still there. I quit. I, I, I believe this is just my, and I've heard other people say the same. I really believe that Paul was saying that there's three seasons I really sought God to take it away. And he didn't. So I let it go. And then it just was, was such a burden, I just sought him about it again. But he didn't. So I let it go. And then there's a third time. But after that third, third time, no matter how close they were in time, no matter how short they were, or long they were, after that third time, he got an answer from God. He got an answer from Jesus. And we see that in the next verse. Verse 9. He says, he pleaded to the Lord. Verse 9 says, but the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. He says, I got an answer to my prayer. God said no. So don't feel so bad when God tells you no. God told, told Paul no. About something that was significantly important to him, about something, something that caused him significant problems. God said no. We're going to see a little bit later, and you guys know this too. God said no to Jesus. Now, if you don't immediately think, where did God say no to Jesus? You'll find out in a few minutes. God said no. He says, basically says, no, I'm not going to take it away. 
He says, but my grace is sufficient. In other words, I am going to give you whatever you need to get through this. In fact, in the midst of this, you know, it's going to be so bad or it is so bad that you can't do it in your own strength. I'm going to give you my strength. And the way he words this, it's not like, I'm going to give you just enough of my strength to kind of eke through. You know, I'm going to just give you a little bit of strength because you need it. But he says, my strength is going to be perfected in you. In other words, God's strength is going to be so significant in this situation, it's going to be something to be noted. It's going to be something that other people will see, not just Paul. And it's going to be something that's going to carry Paul through in victory, even though he's still battling whatever this thorn is, whatever this weakness is. And so Paul says, that's why I'm willing to boast in my weaknesses. He says, because when I'm weak, God shows up. And so I'm not really boasting about me, I'm boasting about God. When I'm weak, God shows up. His strength is there. The last verse we're going to look at today, verse 10. He says, For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Look at what he says. I am content. What does content mean? It means, okay, I'm fine. I'll deal with it. I'm not going to fight it. I'm content. Now, it's great. It's easy to be content with a raise. It's easy to be content with a good meal. It's easy to be content with good things that are happening. But Paul says, I am willing to be okay with, to be content with bad things happening. And you look at the words he uses, anything that we face can fit in here. Weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, whatever we're dealing with, it fits in one of those categories. Paul says, that's what I've got. And if you read his biography and the scripture verses, it, it talks, tells a lot about all the things that Paul went through. He says, I'm okay with that. Why? Because when I'm weak, God shows up. I'm actually very, very strong, but it's not my strength. There's some important thoughts I want to draw from this to help us to deal with the weaknesses that we face in our lives. And and then I want to wrap it all up real quickly with what should we do when we're weak, okay, based on what this scripture teaches us. So let me give you a couple of thoughts from this passage. The first one is this. Even the most faithful followers of Jesus face difficulties. Even the most faithful followers of Jesus face difficulties. I remember when I first became a Christian, I was only 10 years old. And then from that time into my early teens, I had this view of pastors. You know, I I knew my pastor. I didn't know him real well. You know, he was a pastor of a big church. I saw him preach, you know, and all that kind of really kind man and everything. And I just thought, man, pastors, man, to be a pastor, you got to be like extra holy and extra smart. And God only chose the best, I'm sure. And so God probably would have put a special anointing on them and a special power in them. And a lot of that's true, okay? But I thought pastors probably never had any problems. Pastors probably never wrestle with much of anything. Pastors probably never got tempted. Or if they did, it wasn't that big. It was like, nope, forget it. You know, pastors' marriages and families were probably perfect. You know, that's what I thought about pastors. And if you think that, you're wrong, (laughs) just like I was. Pastors are people too. Pastors are people too. They, they battle the same things you do. 
same strengths and weaknesses and temptations and difficulties and, and all that kind of stuff. But there's this false teaching that goes around from time to time that basically says that if you're a really good sold-out believer in Jesus Christ, a man or woman of faith, and you get a problem, you pray about it, it's going to go away. Because God wants his people to walk in victory. Now, that part's true. God wants his people to walk in victory. But these kind of teachers define victory as you don't have any problems in your life. God defines victory as he may take away your problem, you may see the problem dissolve, or he's going to help you through that problem. And you're going to be able to do it with joy, walking closely with him, and he's going to bring good out of it. I'm getting ahead of myself now, but I'm just saying... Even the most faithful followers of Jesus face difficulties. And the only reason I take a little bit of time to point out this, this false teaching is that because people that have been under that kind of teaching, when they face a difficulty and they pray and they really try with hard with faith to claim God's promises and things don't change, or sometimes they get worse, they're really trying to do the right thing. They think that they're all alone. They think that there's something wrong with them. If you've ever wrestled that kind of a thought or that kind of an attitude and you've wondered that about yourself, that doesn't automatically mean that there's something wrong with you. Now, you still need to examine your heart because sometimes we don't receive what God wants to give us. We don't receive the full victory or the full healing or whatever because we're not doing what we're supposed to do. But if before God you are trying to live for Him and obey His Word and be a man or woman of faith and trust in God and you're praying and you don't see it move... Well, the rest of the sermon applies to that too. Just know you're not alone. And it doesn't mean that you're a spiritual failure. But there's something wrong with you. Can I tell you, many times it's the difficulties that bring us to God and draw us close to Him. In fact, I can tell you all the time, God wants to use our difficulties as times to draw near to Him. I hope this is a situation you experienced growing up, and if not, it's a painful, I'm sorry. But as a child, when you face a difficult situation, you hurt yourself physically, or you were hurt emotionally, I hope you had a parent that you could go to, and they were there to wrap their arms around you, or however they did to support you, to encourage you. That's what God wants for us when we're hurting. That's what God wants for us when we're weak. I'm not trying to say that God will deliberately poke and prod us and cause us problems, so we'll do that. But I'm just saying that that's one of the results that should happen. That's what God, he wants to be that loving heavenly father that is there for his child that is hurting, that is weak. And God will use that. I'm going to do something today I don't think I've ever, ever done. I'm going to use a country song for a sermon illustration. There's a song called Bless the Broken Road. Any of you familiar with it? Several of you, yeah. And uh, it's not a Christian song. Hope you all won't think I'm a heretic for using it for a sermon illustration. But the song basically is all about this man who went through so many, I I guess it could be for a woman too, I don't know, for this person who went through so many difficulties in life and broken relationships and all these circumstances that were absolutely terrible But the good thing about it is that by going down that road, they met the person who became their true love. 
And so the theme is God bless that broken road because it brought me to you. God wants to use the broken roads in our lives to bring us to Him. Initially, you know, to to, to know Him as as Savior and Lord, but as we go through our lives, He'll use the brokenness in our worlds, our weaknesses, our thorns in the flesh to bring us to Him. And in that way, as we draw near to Him, if we draw closer to Him, if we get more strength from Him, if we um, are more empowered by Him, those broken things, those thorns, those weaknesses have served a good purpose even though we don't want them, we don't like them. The next thought I want to share with you this is this. What defines us is not how we handle our blessings, but how we handle our difficulties. What really defines you, what really molds you, what really shapes you, what really determines the kind of person you are is not how you handle your blessings. Anybody can handle blessings easily. Yay! I'm a better person. I get along with people a lot better. I'm happier. Everything's great. But what really defines you and molds you and shapes you and reveals who you are is how you handle the weaknesses, how you handle the difficulties. Again, there's an aspect of that false teaching that, you know, maybe you've got to go through things, but if you have continued difficulty, there's, there's, a, there's a problem in your life. There's a sign of a lack of faith. I want to tell you something. It takes more faith and more grace and more of God's strength to pray for the resolution of an issue, to pray for the healing of our bodies, to pray for the healing of a relationship, to pray for this and that and the other, and continue to remain faithful even when it doesn't happen right away. It takes more faith, more grace, and more strength to do that than to believe God, and then he just takes care of it like that. Now, please understand, I'm not trying to say that God doesn't heal anymore, that God doesn't get involved, that God doesn't want to work in our lives. He wants to do all those things. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray about it. Yes, we should pray about it. And we should believe for healing, physical, emotional, whatever it is. We should believe that God's going to work in our circumstances. He's going to work it out. He's going to give us wisdom to know what we're supposed to do. We should believe that there will be a resolution to the problem. But some things God lets us go through, he lets us go through for a period of time. And that period of time may last till the end of our life. The thing is, what are we going to do with that? Are we still going to serve God? Or are we only going to trust God and serve God if he solves our problem within a certain period of time? Short, medium, long, whatever. God, I, God, I give you a deadline. What defines this is not how we handle our blessings, but how we handle our difficulties. You know, it's so much easier just to give up, to make excuses, than to continue to be faithful to the Lord, saying, God, I trust you. I trust you. I don't like what's going on. I, I'm praying about it. I don't like it. Number three, main point here, if you trust God with your weakness, his grace will be sufficient. If you truly trust God with whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, His grace will be sufficient. On what basis is that true? That's what He says. And can I tell you that there are many, many people who have done that and they've found it to be true. How many of you, there are some, of, there are some saints in here, you've known the Lord for 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years. How many of you have discovered that is true? I've faced some tough stuff, didn't like it, I prayed about it, God didn't immediately take it away, but He was faithful. He gave me the strength. There you go. Lots of testimonies. If you trust God with your weakness, His grace will be sufficient. 
Another great promise to cling to is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Paul says, no temptation. Now, very quickly, the word for temptation in the Greek is the exact same word that is used for testing or trials or difficulty. Okay? So this verse could also be translated, no temptation or test or trial or difficulty that you go through has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted or tested or tried, whatever, beyond your ability, but with that temptation or testing or trial, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I used to read that verse and say, that doesn't make sense. If, I, if he gives me a way of escape, I don't have to endure it. And if I got to endure it, there isn't a way of escape. And I think it's just God's way of saying, it's going to be one or the other. When you face it, just know you're not alone. And I will not let you face anything that you can't handle with my help. I will either get you out of it or I'll get you through it. I'll get you out of it or I'll get you through it. Philippians 4.13 is one of our favorite promises and we love to have it on t-shirts, bumper stickers, and coffee mugs. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That verse is so misused. I think of two basketball teams from Christian high schools playing the championship game. Both teams are praying before the game. Lord, help us to win. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. They don't both win. Which one did God let down? Neither. That verse doesn't mean that we can do whatever we want to do and God's going to help us. That verse means that whatever God calls us to do, whatever God wants us to accomplish, he'll make sure we can do it. Because if he calls us to it, he's going to empower us to do it. In fact, if you read that verse in its context, Paul is talking to the Philippians. He says, thank you so much for the financial offering. I could really use it. He says, but you know what? That's okay. There's times I have plenty to meet my needs, and then there's times I'm really in need. (laughs) I don't know where it's going to come from. But I've learned to trust God, and I'm content because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He basically says, whatever situations God lets me face, good times, bad times, abundance, need, it's okay because I can handle it with God's help. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. If you trust God with your weakness, his grace will be sufficient. Number four, there's five total. We're going through them quick. God can do more through your weakness than through your strengths. God can do more through or in your weaknesses than he can through your strengths. You know, sometimes if we feel like we're all strong, we can get arrogant. And I want to ask for a testimony of how many of you have done something feeling all strong and you got kind of arrogant and proud and you fell flat on your face. I have. Yeah. God can do more in our weaknesses. You know, look at all that Paul experienced. We think back now at Paul of being this great missionary evangelist who made a tremendous impact on his world, and he did. It wasn't really Paul, it was God through him. But one of the reasons God was able to use Paul so phenomenally, okay, I mean, he, God did prepare him and call him and chose him for that purpose, but because Paul was willing to recognize his weaknesses, and when you read about all the things that went Paul, Paul went through with shipwrecks and stonings and opposition and jail and riots and all that kind of stuff, and every time he kept picking himself back up and saying, God, you're in charge. Keep on working. God, I don't like this. Keep on working. And God did. 
God used Paul phenomenally. I know I've experienced that in my own life. Some of the times I felt like God has used me to my best advantage is when a time I didn't feel like I could do it. When I felt weakness. I could just give you a little bit of insight into a preacher's life anyway, you know. Sometimes I prepare a sermon, I'll feel really good about it and just, oh, this is great and all that kind of stuff. And I get up and it's like, what happened? That thing just seemed to fall flat. It just, fool, I don't know that that had any, you know, I just cling to the thing of, well, you know what? It's God's word and God's going to make sure it, 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 you know, has some kind of effect. And everything in between, but on the other spectrum is getting up and feeling like, man, I tried hard, but man, it's just not come together for me in my head. And then get up and speak and feel like it didn't really come out well and all that kind of stuff. And feel like, man, I just really blew it today. I just, I don't know. And then come to find out so many people come to me and say, Pastor, that word just really, really spoke to me. And inside I'm going, it was only God. <laughs> Sometimes I say that too. It's only God. <laughs> it's only God. I, I've just learned as a preacher, do the best you can. Don't get arrogant. Don't get proud. Ask God for his help and his anointing. Get it out there and just trust him he's going to do something with it. That's good advice for everybody, not just preachers. The last thing is this. God uses our difficulties for our good and his glory. God uses our difficulties for our good and his glory. One of the commentaries I was reading in preparing this message, just a short little quote It's not earth-shaking, but think of this. It says, God uses evil, even Satan himself, for Paul's good. Our difficulties, however they were called, even if they were brought on by the enemy, God can take those things and bring good out of it. I've said to you so many times, one of my very favorite passages of Scripture, my favorite promises is Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't mean that all those things are good. And it doesn't say that God is the one that sent all those things. He allows them, obviously, because he didn't stop them. But he can use anything in all things for the good. Now, it's not that that promise isn't for just everybody. You know, some people like try to generalize it and secularize it, say, oh, it's all going to work out, you know, and um, whatever. It's all for. But, you know, this is a promise for God's children who are seeking to live for him. It says, for those who are the called according to his purpose and those who love God. You don't have to be perfect. None of us are yet. But if you love God and you are seeking to please Him, because that's what the love means, you know, oh, I love God. The Bible says love God means you're going to obey Him. You're going to live according to His Word. But if you love God and you're seeking to obey Him, He's called you to a purpose. And whatever you face, no matter how difficult or bad it might be and it can get, He can bring some good out of it. Now, some of that good you might not see till you get to heaven. Some you'll see in this life. So what do we do when we feel weak? We're going to wrap it up with this. When you feel weak, what do we see from this passage? Number one, pray. And don't give up unless God tells you to. Sometimes I'll have people come to me and say, you know, I've got this situation I've been praying about. I've been praying about. Sometimes I've been praying about this for months. I've been praying about this for years. I've been praying about this for most of my life. And nothing's happened. Should I just quit praying? I mean, look at Paul. It says he prayed three times and he quit. Well, he quit because God told him to. 
So my general response is, how long should you pray for something? You keep praying until God tells you to stop. Or until God speaks to you about, this is really not something you should be praying about. Okay? I mean, if you're caught up in an adulterous affair and you want it to prosper, don't be praying God do that because you can pray all your life and nothing's going to happen. But I'm just saying, if you're praying to the best of your knowledge about something you believe to be God's will or something he's promised you, you don't need to stop praying unless God says, don't, don't pray because I've got a different plan. And that's what he did for Paul. But when we deal with weakness, God should be the first person we come to. I can be, I'll be honest with you, and I am just the same way, so I'm not pointing any fingers here. We can be so guilty of talking with other people so much about our problems, we do that a whole lot more than we talk to God about them. And there's nothing wrong with talking to other people about our difficulties. That's what God put us together in the body of Christ for. But God should be the first and the main and the one that we continually keep coming to with what's going on in our lives. So pray and don't give up unless God tells you to. Paul prayed all the time. His letters are full of his prayers. He prayed about everything and everyone, and he did it on a regular, ongoing basis. The second thing is this, belief. Believe that God will bring about what is best for you in the long term. How do you do that? Well, you just say, God... And sometimes you just got to keep telling yourself. And you can say, God, help me with this. But God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe your word. I'm going to believe that your promises are true. It really helps if you have a history with God. And you can look back like somebody raised their hands to testify to and say, well, you know what? There was that situation I didn't like and I prayed about it and God didn't deal with it right away. But now I look back and see where, hey, he had a reason for that and it brought about good. That helps a lot. If you're young in the faith, you haven't experienced that much, I just want to challenge you. You keep praying along those lines. You keep trusting God. You will see God work in your life, and you will be able to look back and say, sometimes you'll be able to look back and say, God, I'm glad you didn't answer that prayer the way I asked because that would have been a mess. But you'll be able to look back and say, hey, yeah, that difficulty did serve a good purpose. But we've got to cling to those truths. We've got to believe that. We've got to believe that God will bring about what's best for us in the long term. I've said many times we have kind of this mantra in our family because of some things, things that we've been through for the last couple of years and family members have been through in the last couple of years of just saying to God, God, I don't understand this. And God, I don't like this. In fact, I really hate this. But I'm still going to trust you. The idea is that praying, God, do something, do whatever, and you don't see anything happening or it gets worse, whatever. God, I don't like this. I don't understand this. I hate this. But God, I'm still going to trust you. Got to believe that God will bring about what is best for you in the long term. Third one, expect that God will provide whatever you need to handle whatever you face. How many of you ever had a situation that you were facing? I don't know if I can even go on, but you did. Most all of us, right? Sometimes that's in our own strength, but can I tell you that it's always going to be true if we trust in God. We may face things that we don't think we can handle, we don't think we can go another step, but God will give us what we need when we need it. Now, one thing about God I don't like either is sometimes he doesn't give us what I need until like two seconds before I need it. (laughs) I'd like to have it like in the bank a week ahead of time, so I'm ready to go, you know. But expect that God will provide whatever you need to handle whatever you face. And the last one, number four, Be content with whatever God chooses to do and keep serving him. I want to challenge you to make a determination. God, I want to love you and serve you with all my heart. 
And Lord, I thank you for the blessings in my life. And I'm going to pray over my needs and expect you to get involved in them. And I hope you bring deliverance and healing and you do it quick. But whatever you allow to happen, I'm going to keep trusting you and I'm going to keep serving you. Believing your promises that you've got a reason. You're going to work it out. You're going to bring some good out of it. And as that old song says, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Let's all stand together. Our worship team is going to come and we're going to close the service today by singing the song Waymaker. Hopefully he hasn't changed his mind since before the service. (laughs) I love this song. It talks about what Jesus wants to be to us. Uh, Savior is the most important thing. And let me just say this really quick. If you happen to be here or you're online and you would say, I don't know if I want a relationship with God if this is what he lets happen in your life. Why should I even surrender my life to Christ? You know, if he's not going to deliver me from all my problems, but can I tell you, he came to deliver you from your most important one, that's sin. But not only that, if you don't have Christ, who do you have to go through with the problems with? It's true, God will let us go through some things, but he's promised to be there with us and to give us what we need. There's nobody else that can make a promise like that. So I challenge you, if you've not surrendered your life to Christ, that you consider doing that today. You really need that. You need a Savior. We all do. And He wants to be your Savior. He wants to be your Lord. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing this song. And I just want to encourage you, if you are weak today, any area, any way, that you just give that to God. You can do that where you're at. But I want to challenge you if you say, God, I am feeling weak today and I'm just coming to recommit everything to you and say, God, deliver me, but I'm going to trust in you and would you give me your strength today? I just want to challenge you to come down here and just begin to express that to the Lord. That's what I'm going to do. But in a couple of minutes after we sing the song, I want to come back and we're going to close in prayer today. I want to pray a blessing over you and God to help you in every area, but I went down to pray and it hit me. I didn't follow up on what I told you about the time that God told Jesus no. It's the Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane is Jesus is facing much more than we probably will ever face. And in his humanity, he said, God, please, if there's some other way, just take this away. And he prayed it three times, just like Paul did. And each time, we don't know what God's answer was by words because it doesn't record it. He said, but not my will, yours be done. And after the third time, Jesus said, okay. God apparently had said, no, there is no other way. But all the principles we talked about today applied to Jesus too. Why did God let Jesus go through it? Why did Jesus agree to go through it? Because of what the result would be. It would be worth it so his people could be saved. But that also should give us great reassurance that Jesus knows what we're going through. I close with this scripture, Hebrews 4.15. It says, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted or tested just as we are, but he didn't sin. Jesus knows what you're going through. Father, thank you for your presence in this place today. Thank you, Lord, that you helped us in spite of our weaknesses. And Father, we just pray that you would help us every day. We need you. Even the days we don't feel like we need you, we need you. We may even need you even more those days. 
But God, I just pray for each and every person that's here, that's watching online, watching the recording, listening to a recording. I don't care where they are, when they are. But God, today, if they are weak, as they bring that to you and they ask God, please help me, that you would extend your presence and your power, that they would see you at work. And Lord, I thank you that I can confidently know that you will because you promised to do so. Help us, Lord, to live for you. I pray we'd have a great week serving you, loving you, by loving and serving other people. Help us to share you with the people around us and help us to walk in victory. God, we give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.